Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Alonement Podcast a podcast that celebrates alone time. It doesn't matter if you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. Alonement means valuing that all-important me time. I'm your host, journalist Francesca Spector. Each week, I ask a new guest about the time they spend by themselves and why it matters. My guest this week is Shaney Silver. It is a gift. It is an absolute gift to do whatever you want all the time. And that's such a huge driver of my work because if you are single or alone and all you spend your time doing is trying to find someone, you are ignoring how amazing it is to do whatever you want all the time. In fact, you're trying to get out of this as fast as possible. And I think we should cherish every moment that we have to be just completely comfortable and selfish and do whatever we want. It's delightful. And I I don't, you know, I'm not ashamed of admitting that there is a lot of selfishness and never having to compromise or never having to factor in anyone else. Like that's a selfish moment, but it's also a really lovely one. And it just happens to be the way that I'm living now. It won't always be, I'll be in a relationship someday, but I don't want to wake up one day in that relationship and think that I misspent my time alone. I want to fully live my time alone. And I, I think that I am. Shaney Silver is a writer based in Brooklyn, New York. She hosts the brilliant interview-led podcast, A Single Serving, a podcast to change the way being single is seen, discussed and felt. Up until earlier this year, she also wrote the Every Single Day column for Refinery29, where she wrote features with titles close to my heart, such as In Celebration of Being the Third Wheel, and can we stop using single people for entertainment? For the past two years, Shaney, in her straight-talking yet infectiously optimistic style, has encouraged her audience to reframe the way they see being single. In her own words, you can choose how you feel about your own single life, and I hope you choose to enjoy it, to live it fully and in validation rather than let it pass you by in an endless search for someone else. Thank you so much for coming on. It's so great to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me. Yesterday we spoke, you were celebrating your 38th birthday in lockdown. And like me, you live alone. Tell me about your solo celebration. It was really nice. I was actually a little bit a little bit sad about 
not feeling comfortable making any sort of plans for my birthday, just for obviously health and safety reasons. Um, but it was so nice. There were just an absolute flood of birthday messages that came in. And I don't know if it's because none of us could be together and, and everyone's feeling so distant, but I, I felt like all day long, there was just like an influx of lovely, lovely messages from friends and family and podcast listeners. It was just a really delightful day. And I saw you cooked an amazing cake that you put on Instagram. I did. I made a lemon pie and I really like a fancy crust, mostly because I cannot find success at basic crust. I don't know how to do just a normal pie crust. I screw it up every time. So I instead use like cookie cutters and shapes to create a pie crust that is sort of freestyle. So I have like stars all on the edge of my pie that were covered in, in rainbow sprinkles because it was my birthday. So you run one of my absolute favorite podcasts, A Single Serving, and I absolutely adore it because it just has amazing conversations with all sorts of aspirational single women um, about the single life. And, you know, your whole ethos is that being single, that whole conversation and, you know, the, the information available for you doesn't just have to be about dating, which it normally is. This is a podcast all about being alone. And even though, you know, alonement isn't just for single people, so often we use the words single and alone in the same context. Do you think that there's a relation there? Do you think that it, you know, that they, they do necessarily go hand in hand? Yes, absolutely. And I think they have a lot of things in common. Um, I think they've both been used societally in a negative format and almost exclusively in a negative format. And I don't see anything negative in the word single, and I don't see anything negative in the word alone. Um, but we've been taught to fear them, right? We are just sort of corralled toward couplehood our entire lives. There are so many messages and stories and so much praise given to people who are not alone, people who are in couples and families. You rarely see people on their own celebrated in a personal capacity. In professional capacity, obviously, we're celebrated as individuals all the time. But from a personal standpoint, we're never celebrated for being on our own. It's always seen as something sad. It's always seen as something to avoid at all costs. And if you are unpartnered, you are missing something. It is a it is a problem to find a solution for. And that message is so pervasive and has been so pervasive that it's almost not a thought in our minds to just not put effort into dating, to just not try to find a partner. If we don't have a partner, the message we've received is that we have to try to find one. And I want to alleviate some of that stress and pressure by acknowledging that being single is not a problem. It is not a bad thing. It is simply a way of life. And it's a way of life that's really enjoyable as well. So I, I love relationships and I know that everyone who wants one deserves one. And I hope we all have them. I myself want a relationship and I look forward to that one day, but I refuse to be miserable in the meantime. And I refuse for my listeners to be miserable in the meantime, because I want to help expand the discussion beyond just dating, dating, dating. Let's find somebody as fast as possible. I think it's so important that you make that clear that, you know, that, that you would also like a relationship because I think people, you know, assume it has to, you know, to take any sort of pride or happiness or value in being single, that it has to mean that you always want to be single. And that, and that is so not the case. You know, I think it, 
I think once you commit to a relationship, that's a huge, that's a huge commitment. And I suppose when people will commit to that just for the sake of being in a relationship, just because the alternative being single looks so scary, I think that's where problems happen, really. I agree. I think if you are afraid of being on your own, you will take the first relationship that comes because it means that it's better than being single. But I don't think that it is. I only think that the right relationships for us are better than being single. I think being single is lovely. And once you experience the good of being single, I believe that you are so much less likely to enter into a relationship that isn't right for you. This stigma towards being alone, do you think that extends into relationships? Yes, absolutely. I think, yeah, because it's assumed if you're in a relationship, you do things in pairs and pairs only, right? And I'm I'm actually really grateful for being single at this stage of my life because I, in prior decades, I guess, I would never have considered traveling alone while in a relationship. But because I've spent time on my own and I've seen the benefits of solo travel, I know that I will always travel alone in addition to traveling with a partner. I could now see myself traveling like half the time alone and half the time with a partner. And I wouldn't have known that that was not only something that I liked, but also just a totally okay thing to do. And now I know that that's, I mean, you can do whatever you want. And we're, I really do think that the societal messages we pick up over time are so strong and they become such a part of the fabric of us that we don't question them. And, and there are wonderful things to discover in those questions, particularly as it relates to being by yourself. You do such a wonderful column for Fanuary 29 as well called Every Single Day. And I read one of your earlier columns where you said, I will always go to Paris by myself, whether or not I'm in a relationship, which I just absolutely adored, especially because Paris is so often seen as, you know, the city of romance. And it's such a, I really think you're rewriting the rule book there. It is very romantic, but romance is not exclusive to couples. That you are allowed to experience and soak in romance on your own as well. And Paris is the perfect place to learn how to do that because it it is so hard to be in a bad mood in a Parisian park. It is so hard to walk around a Parisian park with its charming green chairs and ponds with ducks in and everything like that. If you if you can walk around these gorgeous historical environments and still feel like you are missing something or missing someone, I really want to talk to you. I really want to spend time with you. And I want to I want to help people shed the, uh, the very learned sense of lack that comes with being single or being alone. It's, you don't have to feel like you're lacking something. You don't have to feel like you haven't done something right yet. Um, and I, I really do think that Paris is a delightful place to explore solo travel and being alone because there's so many things to take in for yourself in Paris. Every museum, every random walk down a street, all the shops, everything is you. I think you observe things differently when you're on your own versus when you're with someone else. And by all means, I look forward to going to Paris with someone as well or with friends, just with anybody. Um, but I have understood that city and experienced that city and fallen in love with that city by myself. And I'm so grateful for that experience. I absolutely agree. I, I also took a solo trip to Paris and I love what you said about the romance not being exclusive to being there with 
a romantic partner I think that you know I went on a, a literary tour and I think all we spoke about were like famous literary couples that's you know around Paris and I think it was just lovely to hear about those stories I think you know everyone loves a good love story um but sometimes you know you don't want to give up everything in the world to be part of that drama it's just nice to share in yep absolutely I want to go on that tour, by the way. You got to tell me what that was. It's so great. It's called Drinkers and Thinkers. It's on Airbnb. And I hope it's still running because it's a wonderful one. I went about a year ago. Oh, I can't wait to go back. It's wonderful. Uh, well, I'll have to come and meet you there when we, uh, when we can oh, absolutely. finally go traveling. And I usually do also tack on a London stop when I go to Paris because it's London is one of my favorite cities of all time. It's the only city remaining on my I want to live there list that I haven't lived there. Um, so I always go to London because if I'm crossing the ocean, I have to I have to be there at least for a couple of days. So I'm usually in London as well when I go to Paris. But um, that won't happen again for a little while. Well, hmm. Well, we'll buy the time. We can plan. We can plan very well in the meantime. <laughs> Absolutely, we can aspire to future travels for sure. Beauty of it. So, when I say the word alone to you, what does what does that mean? Instantaneously, the first thing I think of is freedom. I'm someone who's very, very attached to my freedom, and um, I I absolutely cherish it. There is something, and this might not be true for everybody, but I think it's true for me that there is just so much joy in making all of the decisions all of the time. I like that I get to do whatever I want all of the time. And acknowledging that about myself and learning that about myself, I think has actually made me a better future partner because it's taught me what actually matters to me. And it's taught me what I can compromise on and what I can't compromise on. And in prior relationships, before I knew this about myself, I compromised far too much. And I was always unhappy in relationships. And it wasn't because it was a bad relationship. It was because I really wasn't adept at showing up well for myself in it. So alone for me is a sense of such freedom and joy and time to, time to love all the things that are true about me on my own. And the value of just absolute complete freedom is so important to me. And I know that I will, because I've spent so much time with it. I will retain that when I'm in a relationship, which we've discussed before is keeping a sense of your own self and identity and um, agency over what you do that exists separate from the relationship is in my opinion, really key to a successful relationship. All the relationships that I admire and aspire to are two very separate entities of human beings that have their own lives, but then also have their life together. And there hasn't been a choice made that they had to pick one or the other. They get to have both. It's like what you were saying about when single people like being single or when they celebrate their singleness, it is assumed that they don't want a relationship. There are way too many this or that. And there should be more this and that in the world of being single and in the world of being alone. You don't have to choose and you don't have to take this hard line that if you're happy single, you don't want a relationship. That's not true. But that's such a pervasive like mindset that we think somehow if we get really comfortable and really happy and really calm and confident being single, that we're somehow letting like the relationship gods think that we don't want somebody. Like we're going to miss out on meeting somebody if we are too happy being single. That's just not true. In fact, I would argue that the opposite is true. So there's no having to choose. I think we get to show up as we want to in every relationship that we have and maybe most especially in the one we have with ourselves. I love that. And I like that uh, qualification because, you know, the relationship with yourself 
is also very important and I think so often neglected. I agree. I love what you said also about, you know, identifying the things that you need and identifying the things that you can compromise on. Because I think so often we talk about relationships as requiring compromise. And I think it's really important to sort of, you know, put some parameters on what that compromise is, because, you know, I mean, for instance, what would you say are your non-negotiables now? Oh, wow. Yeah. I've learned that if, if you can't come to a compromise, that's okay. A lack of compromise and a lack of agreement does not have to indicate the end of a relationship. It can indicate doing things separately or differently. Um, I don't think everything has to be agreed upon. Um, I think I now know that I need to be with somebody who I can disagree with comfortably. That is a non-negotiable. I have to be able to disagree comfortably and in a respectful space. Um, and I'm not a fighter. I'm not a relationship fighter. I don't like that. I, it's not that I don't like confrontation. It's just that I don't like um, <sighs> explosiveness or hostility or anything like that. I'm just not well suited to it. But I am very well suited to logical discussions and disagreements. That's fine with me. Um, so I need to... I need to have someone in my life that I can have that kind of relationship with. Um, there are, there used to be so few non-negotiables because I thought that if I was like, if I was too picky that I was somehow limiting myself, but really what I'm doing by acknowledging my non-negotiables is not settling. So for me, a non-negotiable is, uh, no children. I don't want children, um, ever. And, um, I look forward to having a partner who agrees with me on that. Um, I love to travel. Obviously I would really, really love to be with somebody who has this similar sense of adventure and also a similar sense of, um, again, freedom. I like living in different parts of, well, I've only lived in the U S so different parts of the country. I've lived all over it. Um, I'm not afraid of a cross country move. I'm not afraid of a big move. I look forward to living abroad at some point. Um, I like somebody who has that sense of adventure and like, maybe we want to go live somewhere else for a year or two or five and then do it again after that. Like, I really, I'm not into home ownership. I'm a renter. <laughs> I just want to be able to live and do whatever I want. And that's a huge part of why I do what I do for a living because I can do it from anywhere. Um, so a sense of, of freedom and fluidity would be really lovely. Um, you know, I don't think I'm going to end up with somebody who's allergic to cats. I just don't think that's going to work out. I don't think it's going to work out. <laughs> I love that. And I think that's a really, you know, some really, really clear boundaries there. And, you know, I think a lot of people spend so much time flailing about not quite knowing. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to be able to say to someone, you know, that these, these are the things that matter without having to, it's sort of becoming a source of tension, working it out. I'm really interested in your decision not to have kids. Was that always something you knew that you didn't want? Or was that something that you had to come to decide because obviously there's so much pressure on women to follow that role. I think it is very much who I authentically am. I do not think I always heard it in my head there. I we're all raised in a world that celebrates growing up, finding a partner and having kids. And I thought that that was just what you did. I thought that's just what everyone did. And I didn't question it because why would I, it's so lovely. I think, I mean, I'm always 
thrilled when my friends have children. I'm so excited for them. I love kids, love babies. Um, I mean, the wrist rolls on a baby. It's just, it's the most delicious thing. (laughs) I love, I love children and I love when my friends have them and I get to be a part of their lives. Um, so when you have that kind of affinity for family and for motherhood and, and friendship with the, with the mothers in your life, I don't think you ask yourself any questions about that. It's just assumed that it's what you'll do. But the older I got and the more I saw my friends' lives change completely after having children, I realized that I was starting to dread it. I was starting to dread my whole life changing in a way that I didn't want it to. And I was viewing having children as like this sentence ahead of me. And then I realized like, I don't have to, I don't have to do that. I clearly don't want that. And I can let it go. I don't have to do that if I don't want to. And when I started admitting that to myself, it literally felt like a physical weight off of me um, in, in life in general, but also especially in my dating life. And this is where I'm like really upfront with my own audience that there are certain things where I can't identify with them. I don't know what it's like to be dating in your mid thirties and want children. That is a whole other layer of intensity and pressure that I don't experience, but I very much acknowledge and want to, um, support people who, who find themselves in that position. But, um, I didn't always know it. I had to, I had to listen to it. It was, it's very much who I am. So I know it was always there, but I, I, I've spent a lot of life, my entire twenties really, and a bit of my thirties, just kind of going through life and accepting it at face value and what it is and everything that I was taught. And it wasn't until I started questioning things. It just, I had to, I had to listen to what I wanted against the context of what society had taught me to want and really question things and not be afraid to question things and not be afraid of my own answers. Um, it, it's like a whole other layer of living life when you start living it, asking why you do the things you do. A really simple analogy for this is, um, look at the things in your uh, kitchen, where you put things in your kitchen, where you put things in your refrigerator, like where things live, and then compare that to where your mom and dad put them. You've learned where things go. You've learned how to do things from somebody. You don't question it. It's just the way things are. Like, why would you question it? There's never been a reason to. Um, I opened up the fridge one day and I was like, why does this go here? That's where mom puts it. But is that where I put it? I don't know. Maybe I want it to live somewhere else. So I, there's a whole other layer of life that comes from asking these questions for yourself. And the, the strongest example of that is absolutely having children. You know, it's so funny. As you were saying that, I, um, I can see my kitchen from here. And I was just imagining someone coming in and moving those things around. And it made me shudder. But I think, so I love that analogy. I think when you live alone, you sort of, you do get to question why and you, and, and then, you know, put your own, your own, you know, re- rethink the way you see things being done. Uh, I, I love what you said though, about coming to understand that through your friend's experience that, well, having kids was their journey. It wasn't necessarily yours. And do you, do you think that because you've seen your friends do that and sort of settle into that lifestyle a bit more then you have a, a better perspective than just when everyone's on the cusp of doing it. Of course. Absolutely. I don't, I wouldn't know half of what I know about my own feelings around having children if I hadn't seen so many people I'm close to do it. Um, and that's not to say that watching them do it was a negative. I've seen them absolutely thrive in motherhood and fatherhood. And it's a joy to see. And maybe that's why I feel so strongly about not wanting to have children because I see the joy of it. 
I see how wonderful it is. And I still know it's not for me. I can still, it's, it's just, it's very clear. It's, I have no questions around this whatsoever. It's kind of a gift to, to really understand something about yourself for sure. Um, and the relationship advice stuff that you get from friends is very dissimilar to the way people discuss children, because you're really never going to be at breakfast with a girlfriend of yours who has a baby and have her look across the table and say, don't do this, like in a sincere way. You know what I mean? She, like She might joke if the baby's screaming or something like that, but it's never said with sincerity. Like we don't talk about children, having children in terms of regret. That's not something that is socially or culturally acceptable, even if it's true. Although on my podcast, I do like to make safe space for people to discuss that. I don't think that that's a bad thing to, to openly discuss, but, um, you don't, you don't get people telling you anything really weighty about that decision. I've never really had a discussion with anybody about the, 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 full decision-making process that they had with their partner about having children. Cause it's a very private conversation, right? Like I've never gotten into the weeds on that with anyone. Um, and also it's just a really accepted decision. Nobody ever looks at a pregnant woman and says, why'd you do that? No one does, but people are very comfortable asking me why I don't want children. So it's a very different experience, but, um, I'm, I'm curious about like the decision-making process that people who want to have children go through, or, or is this just what we do? I've that whole what we do thing made me think for so long that my desire to have children would just snap into place eventually, but it never did. Um, so I had to ask myself some really honest questions and actually get to the, get to the answers for myself. Do you think the fact that you've been single for that period, do you think that that enabled you to make a decision that was authentic to you and not just what someone else wanted? It is one of the things I am most grateful for in my life. I, I shudder to think about what would have happened if I had gotten into a relationship and, and had children in my late twenties or early thirties. Um, because I know fully that that's not me. I know that motherhood is not for me. So I'm very grateful that I have spent this time on my own. I've always known there had to be some sort of purpose for this. I had a really difficult decade of dating. It was very, very hard. Um, with like zero relationships resulting from a decade of online dating. It was very punishing. But the whole time it was happening, I knew that there was purpose to it. I knew that there had to be a reason that it was this hard, that it was this much of a lesson to learn, that it was this, this much time alone. I knew there had to be a reason for it. And I'm living the reason now. So it's, I don't regret a second of it. I don't regret a, a single lesson that I learned, but I do think it took this to understand how I feel about the whole kids thing, but also the whole structure of my future relationships. I think it took this period of education to understand how I want to exist in future relationships and also how I want to live in my current relationship with myself. I think that's so powerful and so wonderful to hear you speak so positively about it, because I think some people don't feel even liberated to say those things, even if they feel them. I think it's scary. I think it's scary to admit that you're happy single. I think there's a lot of shame attached to it. I get called brave a lot for talking about single this way. I don't feel brave. I feel like me. I just feel like a person. I feel like I'm being honest because I haven't seen any honesty in this space. And I want to be the honesty that I have not heard before. Um, Cause I'm not ashamed of being single. I'm not ashamed of being single and 38 
And if you would have told me a decade ago that I would say that sentence out loud on a podcast, I would have thought you were crazy. But it's very much my truth now. Do you think that's people projecting their own fears, perhaps? Of course. Of course. And I, I, I feel for them. Anybody that projects any kind of fear onto anybody, I feel for them because that fear came from somewhere. They learned it somewhere. And it can be unlearned if you want. So there's, there's, no, um, there's no permanence to feelings we don't want to feel. I love the way you put that. We've talked a lot about the positivity around being alone in different guises. When does alone slip into loneliness? When I slip into comparison. When I look at other people's partnerships and the things they're doing together or the company they have that I don't. When I slip into comparison, which I do not advise, um, that is when I feel lonely. It's rare that I feel lonely these days. Um, I mean, the pandemic is just a completely different bag of cats, but it's, um, it's most often going to happen if I have allowed myself to compare my situation to that of another's. Um, and maybe they're comparing their situation to mine and they're jealous of me. I have no idea. But whenever I allow uh, comparison and jealousy, that's when I feel lonely. And that's really the only time. And I have to, I have to catch myself and be aware of what I'm doing um, because we live in a very uh, we live in a, a comparison funnel. We have social media. We see comparison opportunities all the time. And I have to, I have to learn how to consume messages for myself and understand what I'm feeling and responding to a picture of, you know, of friends of mine that are in a couple that bike to the beach together during quarantine, because that's safe for them to do. Um, whereas I would not be comfortable biking to the beach on my own. And, you know, you have to acknowledge your own feelings and don't feel shame about the way you feel about something. It's okay to feel however you feel about something. But if you don't like that feeling, figure out for yourself how you're going to feel differently the next time and understand what you're doing in the moment. Understand that you are comparing. And anytime we compare what we have or what we're doing or who we are to other people's, it can create huge feelings of lack. And lack doesn't serve me well as a single woman. It doesn't serve me well as someone who's alone at all um, because it, it uh, takes away from acknowledging everything I do have. That's fantastic. Uh, so yeah, anytime I allow comparison and jealousy to, uh, to influence me, that's when I feel lonely. Do you think lockdown has aggravated those feelings or even just given a warped sense of perspective? Yeah, absolutely. But it goes in extremes, right? Like there are moments where I'm so, where I feel so lonely because I've been here in this apartment on my own since the 10th of March. And then there are moments where I'm so grateful that I've been alone in this apartment since the end of or the beginning of March. Um, mm -hmm, I hear you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was talking to a friend of mine who's married with uh, twin seven-year-olds and we were trying to figure out who has the worst situation. And it's not a competition, <laughs> first of all, but um, I wouldn't want hers. I wouldn't want hers. I can't fathom homeschooling children right now. And my respect goes out to anybody who is homeschooling anyone at the moment or anyone who's trying to work from home with kids right now. It is such, it is such a heavy lift that is being asked of families. Um, so yeah, that's, it, it definitely, comparison can go either way. <laughs> it can go positive or negative. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's been a really interesting time because I think typically, you know, typically with the normal kind of outside of pandemic um, 
prejudices we think oh like people living alone single people like oh they must be so lonely and actually I think that you know you, you hear so much about tired parents and and often it, the weight does fall on mothers to do the homeschooling and all that emotional labor and I think that you know the, the pandemic has really sort of changed how we which situations were sympathetic towards or our value system really when we look at people's lifestyles I think it's been really interesting in that sense so we've spoken about alone we've spoken about loneliness when it comes to alonement enjoying the time that you spend alone and really valuing it what what is your token alonement what what is your you know your biggest example of alonement day to day yeah it's, you know, it sounds selfish to say it out loud and maybe it is and I kind of don't care, but I really like that I exist all day, every day without any kind of caution. Like I'm, I don't factor in anyone else in my living space. It's not a problem. Like you, we have in common that we are both early risers and you asked me earlier about my non-negotiables. I always assumed that it was something wrong with me that I was an early riser. I'm a very early riser. And for years and years, I would just tiptoe around people, not wanting to make any noise in my own home, lest I wake someone up. I don't want to live that way in my future partnerships. I want an early riser. I want to be partnered with an early riser. That sounds fantastic to me. And if not, then just a heavy sleeper because <laughs> I don't want to have to tiptoe around my own house. Um, so my favorite part of my own alonement is how comfortable I am with existing in my own space and in my own life with total agency over what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and why I'm doing it. It's, it is a gift. It is an absolute gift to do whatever you want all the time. And that's such a huge driver of my work because if you are single or alone and all you spend your time doing is trying to find someone you are ignoring how amazing it is to do whatever you want all the time. In fact, you're trying to get out of this as fast as possible. And I think we should cherish every moment that we have to be just completely comfortable and selfish and do whatever we want. It's delightful. And I, I don't, you know, I'm not ashamed of admitting that there is a lot of selfishness and never having to compromise or never having to factor in anyone else. Like that's a selfish moment, but it's also a really lovely one. And it just happens to be the way that I'm living now. It won't always be. I'll be in a relationship someday, but I don't want to wake up one day in that relationship and think that I misspent my time alone. I want to fully live my time alone. And I, I think that I am. I think that's wonderful. So the early riser thing, what would you rather have? Would you rather have the very heavy sleeper or would you rather have the person that gets up with you? Because some people don't like to be disturbed in the morning. I know that my um, I know that my mother is a very early riser, but she's paired with my father, who's a very heavy sleeper. And that that is actually her alonement time. Um, <laughs> but I know some people, I don't know, would you rather wake up with someone and live the day with them? Or would you rather have that as your time? That's a great question. I don't know. I've never experienced it. I've never been in a partnership with somebody who woke up at the same time as me. So I don't know if I would like having them around for that time or if, well, I also, because I, I rise so early, I do most of my work in the very, very early hours of the morning. So maybe it's good that nobody is around to distract me, but I also want, I don't want to stress out like getting my iced coffee out of the fridge. I don't want to, like, I want to be able to listen to, um, 
if I'm, I'm researching a podcast guest, I want to be able to like listen to a podcast of theirs or, or watch a video of theirs and not always be worried that I have to be like taking up as little space as possible and making as little noise as possible. I don't want to do that. So yeah, maybe it is the heavy sleeper. Um, because that is kind of, yeah, I, I do so much from a productivity standpoint in the wee hours of the morning. And also when I travel, particularly in Paris, I rise with the sun and I go out and I walk around a completely still and quiet Paris, which is the loveliest treat. But also if somebody else could be into that, if I could be partnered with somebody who's into that as well, that sounds like a really cool experience too. So what's, what, what kind of time are you waking up? Oh, um, it varies. Um, somewhere in the ballpark of between 4.30 and 5.30 every morning. Oh my gosh, you are an early riser. <laughs> yeah, like sleeping in for me is like, like seven o'clock is the absolute latest I will ever sleep in. And I have had a night the night before if that <laughs> happens. So yeah, I just, it's it's been my natural rhythm since childhood. I've always been both a very early riser and a very uh, productive person early which means my workday ends extremely early compared to other people because my brain is just spent at like between two and three in the afternoon. My brain is like, you know what? We have committed enough to this day and we are taking the rest of the day off. So that's wonderful. And that's also something to be said about living alone and working alone that you don't have to fit your natural rhythm around someone else. Exactly. And I, um, I'm a freelancer and my, I set really firm boundaries with my clients. Um, I don't respond to emails if it's not my business hours. And I'm very upfront about, you know, when I work and what I do. And, um, I don't fit myself to other people anymore. I am just very open and honest with my clients and it's never really a problem because there's boundaries set and there are expectations around the way that I work. So it's, um, it works out. Okay. So if I were to email you and I received a out of office, what would your office hours be on that email? Oh, I don't know. If, well, that's a good question. I don't know that I would specify them in an out of office message, but I would let somebody know if they should not expect a reply today because I'm a very prompt emailer. But if I, if I am done for the day and I need to set an out of office, I will let them know, um, you know, please expect a reply tomorrow or the following day, something like that. Just so I don't like, um, I don't like other people waiting on me. I find that to be disrespectful. I don't like to keep people waiting and I don't like to be kept waiting. So I would be pretty honest about like setting expectations around when they can hear back from me. So that's when you do your work very, very early in the morning um, into about 2, 3 p.m. What about your alonement time when you're just having fun or relaxing? What do you do during that time? I don't even know if I remember what I did in the before times, but, um, here <laughs> I like to, in the afternoon, I start like my alone time. I always make a cup of tea and, um, sit in front of my bedroom window because I look at a screen so much for work. I like to spend a, roughly an hour if I can looking out into sky and trees just for the balance of my eyes and the health of my vision. Um, and also just clearing the mind of everything that's been incoming all day through screens. Um, so I do that. I like to read in the afternoons. Um, I absolutely love movies to some degree television, but I really love movies. I love, um, sort of like that escapism, especially during lockdown, just like turning your head completely off and just watching a story that isn't true. That's really fun for, for a few hours. Um, I always, uh, catch up with friends in the evenings. I've had a couple of WhatsApp groups and, and zoom, 
uh, like standing zooms in the evenings that are really nice to do. And I do a lot of cooking on my own as well. I love to cook. It's such a Zen moment. Turning on a podcast and chopping vegetables is what I look forward to at the end of every single day. That's wonderful. So do you cook for yourself every night? You haven't been tempted to get takeout during lockdown? That's a rarity. I think I've done takeout maybe two or three times in lockdown. And every time I've done it, it's just been out of like guilt almost. Like I want to support the restaurants that I love around me. So I've done it then, but I, I tend to just cook for myself because from a nutrition standpoint, it's typically better. And, um, it's just so, it's such a part of like my mental health routine that I, I tend to cook for myself for sure. And you mentioned the restaurants around you that you love. What's your favorite thing to do in public when you're alone? And what were you really excited to do once lockdown is over and once it feels safe to go out? Oh, God. I mean, I'd like to go back to Manhattan. I haven't been in Manhattan since early March. Um, I love the... um, just the sort of potential to, to not know what's going on. Like I can go into Manhattan and, and intend to go to a museum or intend to go to a shop and end up doing eight other things. There's just, I mean, if you live in London, it's very similar. Like there's just so much abundance in terms of things to do that the city will often surprise you. Um, which I really like. I like the freedom of public transit. I never thought I would miss something as grotesque as the subway, but I do. Um, <laughs> I like, I like the freedom of, of a good wander for sure. And I, I miss that very much. I miss the freedom to wander around safely without worry. Um, that's, that's hard to not have the ability to do anymore for sure. Um, being a, being a tourist in your own city, I think if you're going to live in a city like London or, or New York or Brooklyn, um, the ability to be a tourist in your own city is part of the reason we're willing to pay rent to live here. So, uh, having that taken away has been really tough. Shawnee, my brain is absolutely fizzing. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Alonement Podcast. If you liked this episode, please do rate, review, or subscribe. It makes a big difference to helping other people find us. Until next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.